0: Max Verstappen beats Fernando Alonso to victory at the Monaco Grand Prix despite a late rain shower offering Aston Martin a redemption chance. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 6, the Monaco Grand Prix. The streets of Monte Carlo were billed as perhaps the best chance of the season for a car not plastered with red bull stickers to take the chequered flag. The reason for optimism was that the RB19 is comparatively weaker in qualifying than in racing conditions, and Monaco wouldn't give it a chance to flex its usual strengths. But Verstappen went all out for a precious pole position in an electrifying qualifying session, setting himself up for victory ahead of the front row starter, Fernando Alonso. Though rain arrived late to give Alonso a chance to take an unlikely lead, Aston Martin played things safe, taking a season-best second, but allowing Verstappen to claim his fourth win of the year. To talk us through the Monaco Grand Prix, and the Monaco Grand Prix that could have been had things gone only slightly differently, I'm joined by Ed Straw from The Race, and of course the host of The Race F1 Podcast. Ed, how you
1: doing? Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks very much for inviting me on and getting the plug-in for me so I don't have to hopelessly sell uh, my own podcast. But yeah, great to uh, <laughs> join you, even though, as I said when you mentioned you might invite me on for this podcast, it feels like a bit of a hospital pass getting Monaco on a podcast <laughs> called Strategy Report, but actually it served up something quite interesting.
0: Thank goodness. That was probably the smoothest intro. The intro is probably the smoothest thing that's happened in Monaco all weekend, though, considering the way the, the whole place runs and the Grand Prix is going on. The best thing you about this podcast is that we don't have to get stuck in traffic on the way to it. I think everyone who was in Monaco would agree anyway. The build-up for this race, Ed, was about it being potentially the best chance a non-Red Bull racing team might have to win, and principally because it might be the best chance a non-Red Bull racing team might have to get pole position. Red Bull is not at its strongest in qualifying, and this is such an unusual track uh, that the thinking was that this might present some opportunities. In the end, we did get a pretty close qualifying, and for a lot of the race, it seemed like it was sort of up for grabs. We'll get into that as we go, of course. But what is it about this circuit that made Red Bull appear, and I'm careful to use the word vulnerable, but relatively vulnerable, compared to what we've seen so far this year
1: yeah very much so well throughout the year as you alluded to there's been this pattern of it being much closer in qualifying and then the race advantage is is massive and they had a race pace advantage here as well but it was always about the track configuration the fact that it's getting those front tires up to temperature that's been the thing that's contained them a little bit in qualifying And obviously this is a relatively low energy circuit in terms of warming those up you also had the fact that with the c5s that were the qualifying tire here they basically only gave you one lap, so you had to get them warmed up on the out lap, make it work. You couldn't necessarily even do the, the, the second uh, preparation lap because of the way the traffic worked and because of the way the tyre behaved. So that was an extra challenge for them, the fact they couldn't just do push cool, push all the time and get the best out of it. It had to be right out you go bang. So they knew that was going to be tricky in terms of Red Bull's perspective, and the others knew there was a chance there. So for me, this race was always about, can somebody out-qualify A Red Bull very possible and then if they can this being Monaco you should be able to stay there because you're containing their race pace so yeah there was I I will admit there was a hope that it happened simply because it's good to see variety and also there was a tantalizing possibility if Verstappen was behind he might have to try and pull off an overtake which isn't completely impossible with a race pace advantage difficult but that would have been interesting as well but yeah we didn't uh we didn't quite get it so yeah Verstappen knew how difficult it was going to be, and that's, I think, why he was so delighted with that pole lap when he got it at the end just ahead of Fernando Alonso.
0: I'm interested to know what you think of that pole lap because some have said, well, what are the greatest laps or at least greatest third sector... On the other hand, you could argue he was in the walls a lot in that sector. Obviously, the car survived just fine, so I suppose credit to him. What did you make of the way uh, he set that lap? And of course, the the strategy he took into qualifying of the team took preparing the tyres. He was one of the few drivers who got three runs in. And it was the very last one that that ultimately did it for him.
1: Yeah, they obviously knew they needed to throw everything at it, try and get the absolute most out of it. And also, you, also, you always know there's going to be Yellow flags and red flags and that kind of thing in Monaco qualifying at some point. Surprisingly, there wasn't anything at the end. So they knew they had to be absolutely on it to do it. And it was an interesting performance profile across the lap because the Aston Martin was very strong in the hands of Alonso in the first two sectors, not so good in the third sector. And the Red Bull was an absolute rocket ship in the third sector there through Rascas, the last corner. So it was an interesting situation because you had Verstappen knowing that almost the back end of the lap was going to be absolutely key for him, and Alonso, who knew the first part, was. So Alonso obviously went first, and he did two really good sectors And he then thought, right, we'll get through the third sector as best you can. He actually sacrificed a tiny bit at the chicane to try and keep the tyres in a little bit more to give him that bit of extra bite right at the end of the lap. That trade-off didn't quite work, but I think he was moving the trade-off around and it never quite added up. But Verstappen didn't actually do a brilliant first part of the lap, even relative to his normal pace, but he knew in that last sector he had a shot and he really, really went for it, lent on it, obviously, we saw he he kissed the wall. So he was very much a, a wall-brushing Monaco uh, extreme lap. And the interesting thing was, part of it is the performance off-sex. Obviously, you make up, just over two-tenths or whatever it was in the last sector. That's a lot in a 19-second sector. Some of that was in the car, but also some of it was in what Verstappen did. I think he found 0.16 compared to his previous best in that sector, which in a 19-second sector is a huge percentage gain. Alonso found sort of a few hundredths compared to his best. The one thing I do wonder is did Fernando Alonso look back at that and think, "Oh, could I have maybe laid it on the line, taken that extra bit of risk at the end of the lap? Because I think he thought probably sectors one and two were about right. So probably Verstappen went that little bit quicker than uh, perhaps uh, anyone expected him to, or even maybe Verstappen expected to. So, It was just a really, really good setup. And I I don't think it was Verstappen's greatest qualifying lap. To be honest, Monaco qualifying laps, they're always a bit imperfect because it's such an imperfect track. That's what makes it so great. But this was a really hard pole for Verstappen to pull off. And I thought he did an absolutely brilliant job balancing up that risk versus rewarding and getting it right even if it was a little bit of a shame for the race
0: just going back and we will then come back to this a little bit later on just to make the segue particularly confusing you talk about how some percentage naturally enough of that time gain was in Verstappen himself not necessarily considering the car Uh, Esteban Ocon was briefly on pole he's on provisional pole qualified third and we will talk about him finishing third later on how do you reflect then on a lap like that is it Is it true, I I suppose, or or does it reflect that truism that Monaco does allow the drivers to play a little bit more of an influence just because of the, I guess, daring you need to get as close to the walls? Or is this a little bit of a glimpse that actually we were perhaps wrong to discount Alpine being, well, to a degree in the mix this weekend?
1: There's a little bit of both. I didn't expect Alpine to be that quick, but it was clearly there in the car. I think the driver can create a little bit more of a swing I guess you could come up with a notional percentage of what's car and what's driver I tend to think of it a bit more as a combination because the the car defines the performance potential the driver extracts it but certainly if you have a good hooked up lap with no real mistakes committed precise Ocon's lap actually was was really really good that one wasn't one that you watch on board and you think wow that's really extreme laying it on the line perhaps as you did a bit with Verstappen but Ocons was just beautifully controlled and smooth he, he's a lovely driver to watch when he's in that kind of mood and can turn these amazing laps perhaps he doesn't do it as often as we might like but really it was a beautiful one to watch and I think pretty much the deficit to pole was just what the pace of the of the car was so yeah I think A little bit was in Ocon, a little bit was in the fact there were a few other contenders out the way, so Ocon obviously ended up qualifying third, he was fourth fastest, Leclerc got the penalty, you had Perez out the way, so that helped him as well, but Ocon and Alpine were really on it. In fact, they said that from the start of the weekend, they put the car on the track and it was actually working pretty well. So if you've got a good mechanical package, the driver's confident, Ocon's gone well here before, he's good around here, you can do that. But it, it was interesting, for Ocon it was just sort of about piecing it together, and not a car that had sort of extreme pace, but it had good pace. And he just really, really put together the three sectors to be able to leap ahead of a few people who probably had fundamentally quicker cars. It wasn't quite the same as of Verstappen. One. I should say, I also really like the Alpine strategy going offset and out of phase. I actually thought Ocon was going to get pole. And in fact, Ocon thought he might because he was on provisional pole. And clearly there were cars who were going to go quicker, a bit of track evolution last run. But I would have laid odds and you know barely laid generous odds worth backing on there being a yellow or a red flag in that last run and of course there wasn't so Alpin were probably thinking oh we've got a chance here almost he was favorite for pole because the assumption is someone will crash someone will have a yellow flag but yeah a great job by Alpine. that that I think was just a a car that was pretty good and certainly not far off the the, the top ones still a leading midfielder rather than a front runner but condensed gaps at Monaco really good job by team really good job by driver clever strategic thinking as well make sure you have clear track and wasn't going to interfere uh, be interfered with by yellow so yeah that that was one of good execution all round I would say the, the Verstappen one was a bit more interesting because they knew it was always going to be really marginal so that's why they was having to they they were having to have that balance of risk versus reward. Whereas I don't feel Ocon went into it thinking right I'm going to start brushing some walls. I think he did have a few moments, uh, to be fair as well. Most do around there, but yeah, it's an interesting contrast.
0: Just before we look at the race and how that was decided. Qualifying in Monaco is inevitably the highlight of the weekend because the cars are on low fuel, the drivers are really taking a lot of risks. I shouldn't say inevitably. Sometimes the races are absolute classics, but it is more often than not that we're talking about the climax almost really being Q3 in particular and qualifying in general. In this era in which modern Formula 1 is willing to experiment with format changes, we know this weekend the drivers have apparently been talking in the driver's briefing about maybe dividing qualifying into heats just to avoid traffic and allow them to kind of perfect their laps. Do you feel like there is a way Formula One should treat Monaco differently? Of course, without detracting from the Grand Prix, which is central to the whole purpose of Formula One, maybe to have qualifying take centre stage in a different way. A little bit of an arbitrary question, I suppose. But I can't help but think every time we come to Monaco that it almost feels like qualifying gets forgotten a little bit too quickly, considering what we see.
1: Yeah, it's one of the best qualifying sessions of the year, always. Obviously, there's sort of two things there, aren't there? There's the question of, is there a way to do it better? And almost the fact, you could make it a special and unusual session comes from the solution to that because when drivers were talking about putting it into groups which is the the f2 Mm -hmm. methodology i sort of thought well okay so if you're saying the problem is fundamentally there's traffic they were talking in particular in particular about q1 with so many cars on the track and the difficulty of finding space so you think okay let's say it's a problem to have that many cars on track how do you reduce them? Okay. The split groups is okay, but with the current format of if you were going to do a split group for Q1 and then put 15 cars into Q2, there's a bit of a, an odd number issue there in terms of you've got 15 cars. So you'd have to take seven from one and eight from the other. And unless you do it on pure time and then there's track evolution. But I, I was actually thinking if you want, to, if you say it's a problem and you want to make it a bit more of a focus, you could go with some kind of single lap qualifying format, which I know is perhaps a dangerous suggestion because it was hugely unpopular when it was tried almost 20 years ago now, just short of that. But I think as a one-off, you could say, actually, this is a good way of doing it. And then you come down to, okay, do you want to have one lap for everyone? Or do you want to let them have two single lap runs, if that's not a little bit of an odd thing to say? So I would lean towards something like that. I think either you leave it as it is, and you accept there's traffic, you accept it's a normal one, or, as you suggested, you try and make it into something else, you solve a problem with the cars on track, if that is a problem, and you just have a a one-shot qualifying, maybe in free practice order or something, and that creates a little extra shootout at the end of FP3, perhaps, as well, where you can have a bit of, uh, of traffic chaos as well. That's kind of where I was leading, but obviously open to suggestions for if you do want to change things how to do it. I think either you stick with what you've got or you go pretty extreme.
0: I think so. I mean Monaco is a it has its reputation in the calendar there's no reason why it can't be treated a little bit differently as well in that case and I think that you know if we're going to have some some number of sprints, for example, if the goal isn't, as Stefano Domenicali is now said, to have every race a sprint, then there shouldn't be any problem with having Monaco as a non-continuous format that we don't see anywhere else, given that well, we might get to a stage where the calendar is just variable in the way we go racing. But maybe a bigger question for another day. At least we do still get qualifying, and that is still a highlight. Ready
2: to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslo is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslo on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslo, the business of sports betting podcast.
0: We did have this spectre, though, of a little bit of race tension, in fact, in this Grand Prix. And then, well, really all hell broke loose in the last third of the race. But to set us up from the start, uh, Fernando Alonso said even after qualifying, he didn't think there was any realistic prospect of him getting Verstappen off the line unless Verstappen had a particularly bad start, which you can, I mean, it's up to you whether you want to bet on that, probably less likely than more likely. So he started on the hard tyre, which was, I suppose, really a gamble, that something would happen later in the race, which fortunately enough it did, although perhaps not in the way they would have expected with safety cars or crashes or red flags. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting choice, the starting tyre, because it obviously gives you the different grip levels at the start. So I think it was always pretty inevitable for Stappen to start on mediums because there's an argument for starting on hards, particularly if you know there might be rain around, as there was talk about that. So the appeal of being on hards and being able to run to the rain is, is quite an appealing one as an option but of course if Verstappen had put on hards and then Alonso turned up on mediums or something you'd think okay that's going to give him a bit of ground at the start it is hard to jump someone at the start to Monaco very hard but you don't want to give them an extra uh, possibility so yeah it created a very interesting scenario. and of course you had Verstappen there while he was leading saying look these tyres aren't going well because the, the deck wasn't great on the on the mediums for a number of, uh, of runners so yeah it created that interesting tension there I suspect Aston Martin felt it was a little bit of a, a it was a little bit of a gamble. They were probably pretty confident Arcon was going to hold up people behind as well. So as we did see in the race, it made it a two horse race up at the front. So I've had that in mind as well. We don't have to worry too much about that, provided we stay ahead of Arcon, and it just creates a bit of variety. Because at least if you've got an offset, some kind of difference, you can try and do something. You can even do the thing of running a bit longer and. Verstappen could have pitted and a safety car or a virtual safety car come out and Alonso might have jumped him so it opens up possibilities for that little bit of luck to happen even though it doesn't give you an obvious window where you will be quicker shall we say so you're you're just saying right we're not gonna lock ourselves into following what you're doing we're gonna make you think about what you're doing by having the the extra range and then you get to make the move, which is uh, uh, not actually what happened in the end because of the rain, but it's all about setting up those possible offsets and those possible opportunities and I quite like the fact they went with the hard for the start for Alonso I think it made a lot of sense.
0: It's an understated move I think in Monaco in particular to make sure the ball is in the court of the leader. Ordinarily that sounds like a silly thing but considering there's so much to lose in Monaco and track position is everything, forcing the leader into making the first decision can sometimes actually be a pretty good move and that seems like we were going towards. The rain did arrive. We saw rain or well, rain was on the long term forecast then it wasn't and then we got to the race start and it started to look a bit grey. Long story short is by around about lap 50, it started to become clear that we're probably going to get a little bit of rain. We just didn't know how much it was going to be. Headed towards the mid-50s and the rain was coming down. It was quite wet in parts of the track. Verstappen wasn't pitting. He'd done really quite a good job to stick out on those mediums. As you said, they were complaining of graining and several drivers had already moved off them. But knowing the rain was in the air and Alonso was ready to pounce was essentially forced to stay out on them. And Alonso had this opportunity to move first, went for the slick tyres instead of the intermediates. This was sort of the pivot point of the race, I suppose, or the major talking point of the Grand Prix. I mean, let's just start with the basics of this one. What did you think of the decision as the rain fell that Alonso moved to slicks instead of intermediates, when on that same lap, admittedly, of course, behind him, several drivers were already preparing to move onto that wet-weather tyre?
1: The really interesting thing about that was that there was a difference between how I interpreted it live and... And what Aston Martin were actually doing. Because I looked at it and thought, okay, you've looked at this. Obviously, Alonso had the gauge of what the track was like. Quite a lot of it was dry at that point. But where it was wet, it was really, really problematic and and getting worse. So, I thought what they were doing is they were thinking, well, look behind. There's no real threats. If we have to come in again for inters, we don't lose anything. But we might just gain something here. Because I I felt that inters were the tyre of choice. Because that's what everyone was going to. So, they probably thought, well, Verstappen's going to go to inters. And by putting on the mediums, I thought you're giving yourself an opportunity there because sometimes you get a bit of rain in, survive a couple of laps with a bit of low grip and then you're on the right tyre again and Verstappen has to make another stop. Bingo, you've won the race. The interesting thing was, when we spoke to Mike Crack after, and you were there, weren't you, in the, in the pit lane when we spoke to him after, he basically explained, no, that we just thought this was the right tyre. We just thought the conditions were, were right for it. So for them, it, that was the kind of standard tyre choice, which is odd because it wasn't the standard <laughs> tyre choice for anyone else. So... I interpreted it as a a, quite a neat little gamble. They uh, didn't. And, of course, the interesting thing was, had they gone to Inters with that one-lap undercut, because it was getting worse, they would have actually taken a chunk of time out of Verstappen. I think if you look at the numbers, I don't think he'd have come out uh, ahead, Alonso, or I don't think Verstappen would have dropped behind. He'd have lost quite a lot of time with that lap, but I don't think there was enough. Red Bull themselves said they probably had three or four seconds in hand and also they could have given Verstappen the hurry up it's like right if it's going to get tight we'll let you know if it's a bit critical on the in-lap with uh, the closing rate of Alonso so it was an interesting one although it's strangely one of those times where actually doing the obvious thing was the more aggressive that might have paid off because you never know you ideally want to make the right strategy because you're saying right. We let's say there'll be three or four seconds margin. Well, three or four seconds margin, you can have a six second pit stop. You can have an unexpected mistake. You can encounter a bat marker or or some incident or, or something. So that would have been better. But I see I see why they. I see to an extent why they did it, but they were very uncertain because Alonso said, well, it's inters in a few bits, but it's dry everywhere else. I don't really know. In the pit lane, it was dry. It wasn't raining there. So <laughs> they they made that call. I know there was some criticism of it, but I, I didn't have a, a big problem with it, really. You, uh, you have a go, and if the rain had suddenly abated, which it could have done, then potentially they could have won and it would have been an inspired call. So it was quite low downside in that respect. You weren't going to lose anything. The worst you would do by going slicks rather than uh, onto the Inters was you'd lose an opportunity to be closer to Verstappen, which could have been interesting because Alonso was quick on intermediate, certainly quicker than Verstappen. But then again, Verstappen had a big advantage. So he'd have probably driven a bit quicker if he had Alonso getting dangerously close. So it's an interesting little example of how strategy can't be... Clear cut, and sometimes, uh, sometimes something that seems obvious or not obvious isn't obvious to the team. Shows how tough it is.
0: Yeah, and I think it is. I mean, sometimes strategists do deserve some criticism, although it's always easy to see that sitting in a chair in front of a, a computer recording a podcast. But it is particularly difficult in this situation because. I did like what Mike Crack said afterwards in in the uh, debrief, which was essentially that you just have to make a decision and then execute it. And ultimately, a decision is better than... I mean, often you do say in these conditions, to be fair, that you want to hang around as long as you can and then be certain. But uh, in that situation where Verstappen wasn't pitting and they had an opportunity, they made a decision and executed. What I think is interesting here, though, is that... No matter the tyre choice they made, it seemed like the risk was pretty low that they would drop lower than second. Ocon was so far behind them. Uh, and even they said, if they, when they as ultimately happened, stopping onto the mediums, they'd still be able to stop onto Interzalap later and hold that position and consolidate second, and that would be it. I just can't help but wonder. What the thinking was, considering that the entire strategy up to that point, before the rain arrived, was set up to capitalise on a situation like this. And, yeah, I mean, you're right to say that ultimately the tie potentially could have been the winner, depending on what the weather did, and they were uncertain. But the Inter just felt like the more aggressive one. And considering how much Fernando Alonso talked about the aggressive aggressive posture of the team in this race... That felt like a bit of a missed opportunity, regardless of what the result would have been. The missed opportunity just to see that strategy through to the conclusion. But I don't know, maybe that's too harsh.
1: Yeah, I guess the the aggression that would be in that would be the fact you're doing it first. Mm. You're making the first move. I feel I feel like the inter was kind of the. It seemed to me to be the logical tie, but I was just in the media centre. I didn't have full view of the of the weather and how it was on track so that was a limited view uh, for, from myself as well but yeah you're right it, it is slightly strange that that would have been a scenario you'll have thought well this this could pay for us although in that scenario the ideal way that would have manifested itself is Verstappen would have pitted on lap 44 because he'd run out of tires and then you're you're home free but Verstappen's always going to extend so yeah I, I, I think it's it's why I think they were being honest when they said, actually, we just thought that was the right tire to go on to selects, which actually was not the right choice, and pretty much nobody else was was doing that. So, yeah, you know, it is strange when you have a strategy that's set up for that to then do that. I mean, there's there's other examples who are more extreme, like when you look at what Ferrari were doing, particularly with Leclerc, because well, Leclerc and side they, they they left them out there when they didn't need to, and you sort of thought, well, you've not actually you've not really made this one pay off and it, it, it's strange when you when you get those kind of judgments and likewise i don't know jump to a topic we want to talk about when you had pierre gasly mm-hmm. he got to lap 47 on the mediums now that's very close to the rain and okay we had the usual f1 thing of oh it's going to rain on lap 35 <laughs> and of course it doesn't and we've had so many races where drivers have been told it will rain at this exact moment and of course it doesn't but Alpha Tari knew the rain. Uh, Alfa I've gone back to last year with Pierre Gasly. Alpine knew that the rain was coming. And Gasly claims, I've been trying to get the onboard to, to work so I can watch, watch exactly what his feedback was. He said he wanted to stay out and extend because if he'd gone a few laps longer, that would have been a huge gain for him. And then it would have been Alpine, third and fourth, a happy days. So yeah, the, the, by definition, the Aston Martin decision with Alonso was odd because nobody else did it. And when you do the, the only decision no one else does then that is by definition odd and because alonso couldn't give a fair guide to it on the pit wall they couldn't be sure and it's tough around there because you're on the coast you never really know what rain's going to properly set in so yeah it's it's it becomes very very difficult you can i think the the positive thing for them is is they they were in that position not to lose out i was however surprised they didn't see the slicks as a bit more risky because maybe you want to stay out mm-hmm. Because you know you're going to have with some water around a difficult lap on slicks, so maybe in that situation, if you think slicks are the right one, do you extend a little bit more because you might have a little bit more tire life, or whatever? So yeah, very uh, a very odd little scenario to to come up on. And of course, you've got to remember there's also the question of traffic as well. There are quite a lot of lap cars around, so you've you've got to factor in not just the gap behind you, but also the the, the kind of interlopers in that gap. Um, so yeah, a lot of factors to consider there. And I I think Aston Martin will look at that and think, actually, we need to make sure on another occasion that we don't make a call like this and think that the tire that no one else thinks is right is the right one. Because that was sort of a a mistake, an understandable mistake, but you look at it and think, actually, there's something we could improve from that and learn from
0: yeah and also antithetical though it might be to a podcast like this sometimes there is just a bit of luck involved you know the rain being 30 seconds earlier had the race started 30 seconds later the pace been 30 seconds slower in general there probably would have been enough rain that the decision would have been made clear it just so happens Alonso was on the track having to make the decision at exactly the level of wetness and uh it wasn't quite as clear as it was but that's sometimes it they still scored second best result of the year so far uh, the search for that victory continues. I want to complete the podium now and I'll talk about Esteban Ocon, who finished third, despite many challenges. That I think in some. Instances may have even gone a little bit under the radar, putting aside even the fact that he, well, technically qualified fourth and then Charles Leclerc was penalised backwards. Uh, several drivers at several points through the race really thought they should have finished third. One of them was Carlos Sainz, who was behind him for well, pretty much the entire first stint, uh, looked like the faster car. Ocon was kind of bottling up the midfield. He was trying to extend, he said anyway, so maybe it's impossible to say exactly what the pace difference would have been. But they were on essentially the Verstappen-Alonso strategy if you like, Ocon on mediums, science on hards. Uh, Ocon pitted uh, in response to Hamilton pitting behind. Science then also pitted in response to Hamilton, despite it being relatively early in the scheme of that hard tyre. Is this just another... Are we just going to start talking about Ferrari unusual decisions at this point in time? Or was there a logic to Ferrari deciding it was worth consolidating ahead of Hamilton rather than seeing if they could actually get ahead of Ocon here with a longer stint.
1: It does seem to indicate a certain mentality and that they were more worried about Hamilton and consolidating that than jumping the clearly slower car ahead. That's what got Sainz so worked up because he felt it wasn't good because as soon as Ocon had, had pitted, he felt he had the pace to maybe have overcut him and there was also the possibility of rain, which people were at that point talking about. So at that point in the race, when you think rain's coming, if you've not stopped, and you're running the hards, so you're thinking, this is an interesting little scenario here for us. So yeah, it was very bizarre, and science was very forthright over the radio. It wasn't just, I disagree with this. It had a heavy air of exasperation, didn't it? Mm. It's like, I can't believe this is happening uh, happening to us again. So yeah, there was an opportunity to jump to third. Obviously, he'd been, Pretty aggressive. He'd, he'd hit Ocon once when he launched that ludicrously optimistic <laughs> move and actually did slightly damage the back of Ocon's car. I did have a look at it in Park Firm, uh, Park A. There was a bit of damage to sort of the wall of the diffuser. Nothing that really made a huge difference in terms of performance. Would have done if you were driving around Barcelona aero wise, but um, you know, he's lucky to get away with that. He had the, the front wing damage. So, yeah, it seemed to me that science was proactively trying to go forward and the others were looking at the threats from behind and yeah there's a certain logic in that because Monaco is normally a race that's dictated by the gaps behind you and who can find the undercut you've got to strangle the undercuts opportunities fine but then you've got overcut opportunities as well sometimes when there's a slower car so I thought that was a little bit flat-footed and I thought even the um yeah that when they went on to uh, wets uh, intermediates later on they were a little bit flat-footed as well which science would probably agree with given he had that uh, that quick spin so yeah that that turned a potential third into eighth and yeah i get why science was so frustrated i'd like to have seen ferrari be a little bit more attacking there rather than just holding their place in the queue which was ultimately that was ocon strategy is hold your place in the queue there's no one ahead for you to attack so that's what dictates your strategy but when you're a quicker car you will be thinking about ways to take advantage of this situation
0: yeah and both him and leclerc finished behind both mercedes cars in the end because they delayed that stop to intermediates until lap 55 by lap 54 it was fairly clear it was wet you can say maybe if the radar looked like the rain was going to ease quickly you kind of tough it out but At that point, it seemed like the race was going in one direction. So that's how science was eliminated for the battle for third. Pierre Gasly, though, was... There's a great, actually, photo of the team celebrations afterwards in which Gasly, uh, Ocon, and Laurent Rossi, who we might use as context here, were all celebrating. Gasly celebrating the least amount of all of them. Clearly, was a little bit unhappy that he didn't have the opportunity to go straight from hards, which he started on to intermediates because he stopped on lap... Forty-seven, agonisingly close to the arrival of the rain. Another situation similar to the Ferrari uh, call, in which it, you know, it seems like only a couple of laps you could have extended and made it there. I thought it was interesting, though. You know, this was a really was a good result for Alpine. Third, obviously, is even Gasly scoring pretty heavy points, more points than you would had all of the front-running teams been fully in contention. But. Is it too harsh to say that maybe this was another situation in which that execution that Laurent Rossi was so critical of only a couple of weeks ago could really just have been cleaner? Or is this a situation in which Alpine really was just focused on Ocon, knowing that a podium result is a bigger statement than, say, a fourth and a fifth?
1: Yeah, I think they probably could have been a bit more positive with this one and seen an opportunity. I don't know if they wanted to make sure that they had one car out of sync with the other so they could... But you can you, they put them on the same lap anyway, later for intermediate. So I I don't really see why they why they did that. Whether they just missed the fact that they could, they could make so many gains. But yeah, there, there was this chance for anybody who started hard and had not pitted when the rain came mm-hmm. was on the ideal strategy because that gained you positions and that's what obviously briefly put George Russell up in third place ahead of uh, O'Connor as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it just seemed like a, a little bit flat footed and obviously yeah great result seventh place backing up the third place lots of points for Alpine 21 points so they've got out of that reasserted themselves properly as uh as the best of the midfield but yeah th- there was a chance there for Alpine to be third and fourth and when you're talking about execution you think opportunity okay why did we not go for that opportunity did they miss it was Gasly not giving the right feedback uh yeah it, it just seemed like a a chance to do a little bit more which they will probably rue a bit but they can equally at least on a, on a day when things aren't done optimally they're finishing third and seventh there's uh there's worse outcomes than that particularly in that team's recent past
0: mm, yes they've experienced all of the worst outcomes pretty much i think it's fair to say and finally you mentioned him there it was george russell who had the a golden opportunity really to take third place he was on the optimum strategy hard straight into intermediates uh, no consideration, no thinking about it, went straight there, uh, promoted straight to third from further down the order, uh, but unfortunately made a mistake on his outlap, and it was still pretty wet and pretty chaotic, and drivers were all over the place and lost two places on the spot, which enabled Ocon to get there, but it was pretty well executed for Mercedes, considering this was a somewhat high-pressure weekend for them with all of their upgrades, and in the end walked away possibly with more points than they could have expected considering the pure pace of the car, although Spain is going to be the bigger call for them when they can really stretch the legs of that machine. An interesting race in Monaco in the end. Qualifying was still better, but I don't think that's such a bad thing. I think the race at least we got was interesting and it wasn't such a dud race for you to come back onto the podcast set. I'm very pleased about that most of all.
1: Yeah, it's always a shame when Monaco is just a complete procession, but mm-hmm. it's one of those venues, isn't it? It does throw up those interesting races and this one's actually particularly good because there were so many what-ifs it's it's strange in that you had that rain coming and it gave the whole field an almighty shake but then when you actually looked at the effect of that shake it only moved a few people around i think we had nine of the same 10 point score as we would have done had the race just played out normally it was only Sonoda who dropped back out of the points with Piastri getting in I think if memory serves so yeah one of those funny ones but it does create all of those tantalizing alternative routes and the fact that yeah you had this battle at the front and then that battle for third with multiple drivers who could have been there not to mention Sergio Perez who eliminated himself from podium uh <laughs> competition the previous uh, previous day so yeah an interesting little race and uh yeah i'm uh, I-, I feel less hard done by having to do monaco <laughs> now on this podcast
0: <laughs> thanks so much for joining me in
1: that's no, great thanks very much for having me
0: Aston Martin is satisfied to have secured second in Monte Carlo, but surely once the dust settles the team will reflect that a slightly more aggressive approach to the race could have paid big dividends. Still, it was a strong result for the Nascent team in a year no one really has an answer to Red Bull Racing. Thanks very much to Ed Straw for joining me. You can subscribe to the Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts, and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name is Michael Amanato and I'll catch you next week for the Spanish Grand Prix.
2: Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age... I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible